Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running MakerExperiment.com, and my co-host Stephen Ellis is a part-time woodworker running Old South Woodcraft, and Martina Miller, who's a full-time maker running Naughty by Nature Designs. We've all encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making, and we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast for episode 41, where we are joined by JT from DFM Toolworks, and Steven is back. How's it going, JT? That's going well. It's a Saturday morning in the shop, so it's it's good to be here. Always got to grind, right? Yeah, I took a very brief vacation for the first time in probably three or four months, and certainly looking forward to not being on vacation for several weeks. <laughs> <laughs> And Stephen, welcome back, man. Thank you, thank you for having me back. I uh, I appreciate everyone's support while I was gone. Uh, I've gotten messages asking, "Where did I go? Have I died? You know, what's like, <laughs> what's happening? What what happened to me?" But um, a lot of life stuff, a lot of things have cha- have changed for me. Um, and for those that are wanting to know what exactly happened, they can message me directly because I'm not gonna throw it out on on the podcast. So. Uh, things have been going good. Uh, today is a quiet day in South Carolina, so hopefully it'll be a good one. We gotta work on getting some more wood stacked up. Nice, back at it for you. That's probably exciting. Yep, yep. Did my first woodworking foray in almost a month this week, so I haven't tu- I hadn't touched wood or tools in a month. Sounds depressing. Did you still remember how to do everything? Do what? Did you still remember how to do everything? Like I'm gonna. And he forget. forgot. <laughs> like I'm gonna forget. It's... Now I had to, like I had to try to find where stuff is. Yeah, but like I feel like when I take time off, then I start making like stupid mistakes, like like measuring shy and stuff like that. Like I'm out of routine, so I get that with even misplacing. Well, now for you, you have to have a whole new layout for your tools. Yes, yes. I'm actually in the process of reconfiguring my workbench because I, uh, the vice when I initially installed it was never quite exactly where I wanted it. So now I'm having to remortise some things and and fix where the vice was. So it'll be more flush with the top of the bench. Nice. What's going on, JT? What have you been watching this week? So I've been watching. Uh, Within the last week, technically, I've watched Game of Thrones. And, Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> and I've rewatched both episodes because I'm just dying to watch episode three now. Um, but uh, otherwise, it's mostly been uh, reading or podcasts, actually. Oh, nice. Anything you've been reading that's worth sharing? I've been reading uh, Gary Vee's book, Crushing It. I've read which I would recommend, you know, if you're trying to do a side hustle 
even though most people might think of it as really for people who are trying to go full time. But um, I think it's a good book simply because whether you like it or not, everyone needs to be marketing themselves. So um, to me, it's a marketing book, not a personal motivation book, but people can read it as a motivational book. So it's either. Depends on which part you want to focus on. I felt the same way when I I listened to the audio book, but it was... It was really about marketing and more of the social media side and kind of how you can leverage all that. Yeah, I, I enjoy reading the examples because even though there is an example of a tool maker, it talks about B2B, which is what I've been in most of my life, um, and B2C. I would just say that it has some really good advice because when I watch some people in B2B on social media, I just feel like they are totally not understanding what it's for well for those who don't know we might want to say what b2b and b2c okay so business to business (laughs) so for example you know i'll see machine shops who are trying to get business from other businesses meaning Mm -hmm. maybe their customers boeing or caterpillar or whoever and they're writing about things that i don't think either of their clients really care about so it's more about saying how great they are rather than what problem they saying, can solve. Yeah, basically. Or just anyway, like I said, I I work with a lot of other companies and um, if I have time, I I give them some pointers here and there. Uh, you know, basic stuff, for example, like they'll post on Instagram but then they don't respond to comments. It's like why did you even bother to post? If you're not going to engage with people after you post. Exactly. You know, it's a one-way conversation instead of a two-way conversation. So, and I think that's because they're trying to do too much, right? They're posting to all the platforms and then they don't have time to respond to everybody. So I I tell them it's better to not post. Just don't post. Uh, Because Instagram's going to punish you long-term if you, they'll perceive you as a bot instead of as a person. Yeah, it, to me that seems almost like an ad. You're, you know, when you when you pay for ad space, you're not looking to have feedback. You're literally just throwing out, here's a pretty picture that we took. Here's our information, and here's where to buy us. That's yep. it. There's no there's no back and forth. It's literally just look at this thing and then go buy it if you want. Well, that's when you start getting those comments on your posts that say hundred dollars so and so won't respond to me. <laughs> Yeah, I think that a lot of people on Instagram forget that the conversation's part of what Instagram's about and what it likes to see. There are even a lot of makers post and then don't respond. So, to each their own. Yeah, so like I said, that's kind of what I've been reading a good deal about or listening. That's about it. Nice. What about you, Steven? I, because I haven't had internet for a few days, I just got internet yesterday. Um, I've been re-watching movies I've had on DVD. So I... (laughs) Wait, they had those back in your day? You mean VHS? Film reel. Laser reel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, talkies, talkies, you know, not not black and white film, you know, with no no speech. I I actually listen to talkies. Uh, No, I actually... 
rewatched one of my favorite movies. It's a more recent movie. It's, it came out in the last like four or five years. It's called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's a it's a really really good movie, and you can interpret it like several different ways depending on the person you are and and kind of what situation in life you're in. But I throw it out there that no matter what's going on in your life, to take take the time to watch the movie and really think about the actions that are occurring in the movie and and his thought process because you can get something out of it. It's very. Um, it's just very sort of inspirational, even though it's not, you know, it's it's a feel-good movie, but it's not like Life of Pi. It's not like um, the, you know, it's not like some of these other feel-good movies that are specifically designed to be, you know, to grab you right in the feels and, and make you feel something at the end of the day. This is a movie to make you think, and I really, really like it. I think Ben Stiller portrays an excellent character in it. Yeah, that was a good movie. I need to watch that again. I think we have it here somewhere. It's probably still in your boxes. No, it's unpacked. All the DVDs are unpacked. <laughs> Do you have a CNC router? I have a sh- I have the Shapeoko XXL. Oh, cool! I I just bought one, so I saw that. Have have fun. I, I like I like how you've got like the world's tiniest CNC, and then you've got a you have a Haas, don't you? A Haas CNC. Yeah, which is like a me- I would call it a medium at best. It's- okay, well, it's all right for anyone that's considered quote unquote maker, you know, working out of their garage or something. That's as big as you're probably gonna. You wouldn't even be able to fit that in a garage because it's it's probably close to seven feet tall, isn't it? You know, the biggest problem for most people that try to bring a CNC in is the three phase power. Yeah. So I know another guy. His name is Ben uh, Freelux. Is his is his handle and what he did is he put in three phase power converters into his garage rather than pay comet our comet is our power supplier in illinois and you can pay to have three phase installed but it's almost like buying a machine sometimes depending on meaning they won't just do it for free no 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 no. it's it's they're not they're not just adding service to a home they're literally putting in a whole brand new like like energy system yeah it'd be uh, potentially a new transformer and all that stuff so anyway it um yeah power i think is the big differentiator and that's why i'm not in my house is well i'm not in my house because i live in urban chicago but (laughs) um, (laughs) even if i lived in the suburbs I could not have this Haas really without spending a, that transformer that that guy uses is a couple grand. Ooh. So sounds about right. Um, yeah, and even the transformer we have, of course, we have a 480 volt machine, and we only get 240. So we had to buy a transformer for about seventeen hundred dollars. It's not uh, terrible. No, uh, <laughs> I would have rather have bought a Shapoko with that money though. That's true. That's so what true. do you plan on doing with your shape Oko? I'm going to be making wooden grill scrapers. So okay. I've sold those on Amazon. Sorry? I've seen a little bit of the preview of your designs and everything for the grill scrapers. Yeah, they. I sold them all last year. And it's actually how I kind of got into the woodworking space and making tools in general. So... 
it's kind of funny how it's not really my focus anymore, but um, I did the math on how much I sold last year and it's, it's just money that I can't pass up right now. So I'm going to be making them again, even though they're not my favorite thing to make. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it takes. Yeah, last year I made them on a shop bot in kind of a big maker space, which is where I got started. And um, they would only allow me to run the machine for four to six hours at a time. And you can't really run a business that way anymore. Like the setup cost was so big that I just hated doing it. Right. You know, going from a shop bot to a Shapoko is, is going to be fine because... Um, I get to keep the machine set up all the time. So even though it's slower, it's always set up. Right. So whenever I have time, I just hit the start button. That makes sense. You know, whereas before I had to dedicate several days and that's all I did. I couldn't do anything else but make those scrapers. Yeah. In an ideal world, I've got 10 machines all running at the same time. That, that'll be the future. That's Trevor's idea. That future is the future. Tools. Yeah. We got off track. So, Martina, what did you watch going back 10 minutes? I'm caught <laughs> up to with all my Marvel movies, and we will be seeing infi- uh, Endgame once we're done recording. So somebody should spoil it for you right now, is what you're saying. I would throat punch you. It's okay. I haven't seen it. So yeah. <laughs> you're not in danger. I got yeah. a little worried yesterday. Michelle um, was messaging me that she saw it, and I thought, I was like, please do not spoil this for me. I've only waited like 11 years for this. Don't do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'll see it. I think everybody will see it before I probably watch it. I usually wait till it comes out on DVD. It'll be ruined for you by the time you watch it. Oh, no, well. n- not, not everyone. Me. Oh yes. I will not, I will not see it true. before you... Because I'm gonna refuse to see it. It's it's gone off the rails, and I hate it now. Okay, Grampy. Typical Steven. Alrighty. Got to pour salt. <laughs> you've, you've missed your daily salt intake. You know you have. You know you've missed this. Poor JT. He comes on for the episode. You come back, and you're full of feistiness because you've been on the sidelines for like four or five weeks now. So look at his face. He's like, "Why did I agree to come on this week?" I should have come on at least next week when they can get all their little angst out with one another. Well, he did meet JT at WorkbenchCon, so <laughs> he probably knows a little bit that that was coming. JT already knows how weird I am. I stalked him for like two days. Pretty try, much, trying, yeah, at, work, at WorkbenchCon. At WorkbenchCon, <laughs> tell, trying tell hard. me, when he got back, how he stalked you for one of the squares that he like followed you around a square and a and a um and a powdered metal uh plane blade because i've been wanting one for yes for for months i'd wanted one yeah you're you're lucky guy because there's uh only three people that have them so you're one of them oh that's gonna Uh, and i know and i know the other two i know the other two but hopefully that'll change next month so working on that as we speak there we go there we go. Nice. I am also looking forward to Game of Thrones tomorrow. Because I'm the no only other one that watches all, Game of Thrones. We all know what you're watching. That's why no one asked you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just mad because it's Game of Thrones. And you're a hater. <laughs> no, I, I finished watching uh, Sabrina. 
the last season they added, season two. That show, kind of dark, but it was good. I don't know if you guys have watched that yet. I don't have Netflix anymore, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to find a friend with Netflix and get it back. <laughs> Fair enough. So now that we're like 20 minutes in, uh, 20 minutes in, we haven't. Yeah. <laughs> so, so JT with uh, DFM Souls. Why don't you give us a background of like how you basically got into it and why you started it? Sure. So, uh, as I kind of alluded earlier, um, I the first product that I ever made for e-commerce was that wooden grill scraper. And that kind of came out of having access to machines in a makerspace here in Chicago. It's really not a makerspace, more of a product development space. Um, because there's, I mean, there's professional machines in there. There's, it's not just uh, a laser cutter and a small router. Um, but you know, I, I've been in manufacturing since I graduated school and been a manufacturing engineer for a good portion of that. And then did automation for warehouse and distribution and then more manufacturing and eventually ran uh, a small manufacturing company for three and a half years. And that had about 80 indirect reports and then uh, three or four direct reports. So, you know, eff effectively I was running somebody's manufacturing company, uh, but it wasn't mine. And I didn't necessarily see myself there long-term. And so a couple of years ago I went out and became a consultant for other manufacturers, working with them mostly on robotics and other automation. So when I worked at Toyota, when I first graduated school, my job was basically to design, build, and install machines that build cars. So for me to be making things, I think is really, for me, I'm not surprised. Uh, I, I don't necessarily would have seen myself going this route uh, originally, I thought I would be taking money from private equity and buying a, a company and then running that company. Um, instead, all those deals fell through. So I took my own money and started my own company. Um, so had one of those deals gone through, I don't think DFM Toolworks would exist right now um, because I'd be again, running somebody else's company, but at least I would have some equity in that company. So yeah, a lot of small failures led to DFM Toolworks. And I would also say too, if the consulting was going better, I might not be doing this as well. So part of the reason I made those grill scrapers is I wanted to have some income that I had total control over it. Whereas in consulting, you know, if you have a client who decides that for whatever reason they're not going to go through with a project, you're kind of not working for them that much. Yep. Yeah. So, so I like the idea of having a product that I knew would move on Amazon, and uh, you know, the more effort I put in, the more I sold. So, and again, I, being a manufacturing guy, I I enjoy the process. Um. And so, you know, one of my goals as, 
you know, sure, I'm a maker in that people think of me as a solo entrepreneur, but, um, you know, I am building a company. Um, I already have somebody working with me about 30 hours a week. Um, and the reason for that is if I just did it all myself, there would not be new products coming out. So, uh, you know, I need help to package and make all those card scrapers, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Otherwise, I'd be I'd be working 120 hours a week instead of uh, 80 hours a week. So, <laughs> 80 still uh, up. There. <laughs> yeah, you still you're still definitely killing it every every week if you're pulling 80. Yeah, so. I haven't hired a, a CNC operator yet, so everything that comes off that mill is is me. But quite honestly, I, I, I haven't made enough money to pay myself yet. So I keep buying more toys, <laughs> uh, like the Shapoko. So, um, but, but like I said, uh, DFM Toolworks is, you know, I feel like I kind of fast forwarded to what I wanted, which was to own my own com- manufacturing company. You know, it, it's definitely a, a work in process. So, Again, the goal is to hire as many people as I can um, because I believe that there's a place in the market for American-made products for various reasons. Um, You know, on a personal side, um, I didn't want to travel as much anymore. Um, So being able to start a company in Chicago where I dictate the hours Um, so even though I work those 80 hours, you know, on the days that I spend with my daughter, you know, I, I stop work at five as best I can so I can go pick her up from school. And after she goes to bed, I start doing more cam work or designing products, right? So it's design work at night, live in the shop during the day. And then on the days that she's not with me, I just work in the shop all day so thankfully i have a very supporting partner that's that's always Uh, a good thing that is definitely it's hard hard to come by (laughs) well um let's just say that part of the agreement though is this is not sustainable right i can't work 90 hours a week forever you know if i were to start over again i would basically have skipped consulting and just taken all my money that I used to start the consulting business and just start this, but that didn't happen. So, um, I'm definitely what I would call undercapitalized, which just means I didn't start with enough cash. So (laughs) if I were to start over again, I would have started with more money, but you also didn't take out a bunch of loans to get it either. Uh, I could tell you I have a lot of credit card debt. To a There's point, a I think that's inevitable when it comes to... And I've also business. borrowed from myself. So I've yeah. liquidated several 401k funds, which, you know, coming from a very conservative family, um, it was really hard for me to get wrapped around that idea. Uh, I'm going to take money that I really need when I'm 60 and gamble it right now. Um, But, 
so yeah, that's that's how this machine shop got started. It wasn't. Um, it's not because I had just a bunch of free money. It's not like I yeah. was a. Oh, you were a trust fund kid. Well, not only that, but it's not like I came from some super successful business where I was making a, a, a lot of money and then just dumping it into my side business. Um, it was more, I had already quit my job three years ago. I spent all that money I had saved up being a consultant. And now here I was trying to not be a consultant anymore. And just basically racking up a bunch of debt. So um, this company is being grown with debt. So any makers out there that want to start a business, you're probably going to have to use some debt. I think that's like the always this misconception too of people that look at full timers like that are starting their own brand in their own business and it's like oh must be nice to be able just to jump and do it it's like no that's a nightmare it's so stressful and you're just like counting your pennies and like racking up debt and everything but it's it's hard because you have to spend money to make money and you're investing in yourself but it's not easy it's so painful to do it and to look at your your books and your accounting and seeing all the outgoing versus the incoming it's nuts. But like when you have your long-term plan, you could see that it will be, it will happen. But like living in that moment day to day is so hard. So it's like, let's, yeah, I, let's put I, in. I can tell you that um, I am way more in touch with my finances now than I ever was in the prior 10 years. You know, it used to be, Oh, I've got plenty of money because I don't spend more than I make. But now I spend way more money than I make. Exactly. So. And it's not even on yourself. It's on your, like, it's like, oh, I bought this new toy, but it's actually for your business and to try and make some money. But it, you spend a lot of money on different things. You can't spoil yourself. You spoil your business. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I'm, I'm getting to the point, though, thankfully, where I'm not buying as many pieces of equipment right now, but I'm just pushing that money into inventory. Well, because you so. fulfill with Amazon right? I do. And Amazon has been great in that what people don't realize is you can only, you can put in just one unit if you want. You don't have to put in thousands or, or anything, but in order to do well on Amazon, you need to always be in stock. Yeah. So they will punish you in terms of a algorithm ranking. If you're not in stock as often. Gotcha. So but Amazon's it, not the only method you use, right? You still have another. I have my own website, but quite honestly, I sell ninety-five percent of my stuff through Amazon right now. Makes um, sense. Yeah, I'm working on having my website become more of my business, only because I'm a little afraid that, for whatever reason, Amazon will change its algorithm and force me to spend even more money to have my products in front of customers kind of like how Facebook now charges a lot of money for your posts to get in front of people. Yeah. Um, Google AdWords, you have to spend money. So I, I spend thousands of dollars a month on Amazon pay-per-click. Now to be clear, it's the ROI is there, right? So like what's cool is, is unlike a lot of marketing money, 
I get to see exactly how much money I get for the money I spend on advertising. And it's by product, right? So I know. So for example, when I launched the marking knives at $50 a piece, what was sad is I spent all the margin in it to get people to buy it. Meaning I broke even on those tools because Amazon shoppers don't necessarily want a $50 knife. They might buy the $20 knife and that's fine. But in order to get in front of the people that do want to buy that $50 knife, I had to spend say $10 to get to them per unit. Right. And that, believe it or not, that was my margin. (laughs) So, um, so the, the CPM 10 V marking knife is not online right now because I paused it while I figure out how to sell it. That makes sense. So I'm just giving you guys a sense of, you know, Amazon is great in that um, I could not have grown as fast as I have without it. Um, they, their traffic is unparalleled. Like, there are a lot of influencers on Instagram and, and YouTube, but believe it or not, Amazon still trumps them in terms of, you know, how many Makita power saws get sold. You know, whoever advertises the most for that power saw on Amazon will, I mean, let, let me just put it this way. Power tools on Amazon, it's, it's tens of millions of dollars per month. That's not surprising. Right. So, I mean... Plus, you um, have people affiliate linking to Amazon. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so with that said, though, um, my the way I'm going to grow outside of Amazon is through working with other makers uh, and other YouTube people. Um, because they can direct the traffic not to Amazon... Um, if I convince them to direct it to my website, but that costs money. So when I have more money, I will do less business on Amazon. Yeah. I'm trying to do the website side because what I do is not really an Amazon type of thing. It's hard to sell custom stuff on Amazon. Yeah. I don't recommend it. Amazon does not have a good listing uh, configuration for it. There are people that do sell custom text cutting boards on Amazon, for example, where what you do is in the order comments, you type what text you want, and then they will laser engrave that text, but you Mm -hmm. can't upload an image. Yeah, exactly. Like... (laughs) And they have handmade on Amazon and all that, but the yeah, fees I, were kind of high. Not only are the fees a little high, but I don't think shoppers are trained to go to Amazon handmade yet. I think Etsy no. is still. I think you're right. Way more dominant, and the fees are lower. So I, I can tell you that I thought about Amazon handmade for the grill scrapers, mm-hmm. and I looked at it. And the traffic is just not there. I get way more traffic just competing with other big companies who also make grilling tools in the regular grilling market versus going to Amazon Handmade where, yeah, I would dominate Amazon Handmade, but guess what? There's no traffic to dominate. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you're right though. So, People are more trained for Etsy. But yeah, exactly. When it comes right. To building out like your own website, because this is what I'm struggling with now. Is you can make your own website with like WordPress and have full control, but then it's almost too much control, or you have to you have to take care of like uh, building out the shop. You have to take care of the SEO on your own. You have to take care of like the SSL security on your website. You have to do all of that on your own. Whereas things like Etsy will do that for you, but you're competing with a bunch of people. And if you want your own website, like Squarespace has like SEO built in, but it's shop feature isn't as Good. Yeah, it's more. I, like that's what I use right ours. now. Yeah, I use Squarespace and um, it researching whether I want to go to Shopify. That's um, actually the one I'm looking at purely for the store e-commerce function. Yeah, they they charge a lot of money relative to yeah. some of the other platforms. Um, but I'm almost to the size where it makes sense. Um, the only the only reason I, I'm looking at Shopify even more, though, too, is there's a lot of people who've developed skills around helping people build out their Shopify store um, versus I don't know as many people who are learning how to do Squarespace shopping. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a bigger ecosystem around Shopify, and I think Squarespace is trying to catch up, but I don't... Ooh. Anyway, I... Let's just say that um, I get worried about, for example, doing my state sales tax properly on Squarespace, whereas I know Shopify has that all kind of figured out, but I have to pay more money. From what I understand, it breaks it out by county, which is what I have to worry about, too, from sales tax, is it has to be paid per county, and every county has its own sales tax rate. Yeah, I saw that in your stories or something, so it's. We'll have to talk about this because... Yeah, we won't bore people with, yeah. <laughs> with state sales tax. But, you know, on Amazon, I have a tool that's third party called TaxJar. And that's how I figure out who I need to pay every month. Um, so there are tools with Amazon and Shopify. Um, not as much with Squarespace. So... Yeah. That's my... Uh, that's my two cents on that, and we can have a whole other episode on state sales tax. You and I will have to talk about the e-commerce side, because these two do more in-person local sales. Yeah, so, but I would argue that um, Facebook should be a great place to then do more local stuff. Mm-hmm. That would be something to explore also. Facebook is a weird, weird place to sell things because I've sold some stuff on there, but it's not been any of my stuff. I don't know why my stuff just didn't sell, but I've sold like, okay, I'm trying to get rid of, I got an old chainsaw. I'm trying to get rid of that, you know, or I've got like a bunch of, uh, a bunch of extra tools that I need to get rid of sell that a couch it's it's like a better version of craigslist where at least you know a little bit more about the person so it's a little less sketchy 
but Facebook Marketplace, because I see these things pop up from time to time because there's been there's a lot more cutting board makers, quote unquote, cutting board makers um, on on uh, Facebook Marketplace now. Because I'll click on one just because I think the picture is interesting, and then Facebook will say, "Oh, because you like something that said cutting board, here's like fifty more things that say cutting board." Remember that time you looked up something? I think it was laser related or whatever. Oh my god! I one ads. time <laughs> I got I got I got eBay ads, I got Amazon ads, I got Facebook ads. One I looked up one time one thing. I looked at one laser because I thought. You know what? This is actually seems like a legit sort of deal. If if Trevor still lived here, you know that he maybe maybe would get a second laser out of. But after that, it just completely blew up my my Facebook for lasers. But thankfully, that has gone away. So that was still retargeting. I guess. <laughs> I guess. So one thing I wanted to ask you because I know I know you're you know JT's your your I guess first and middle name. And I know what your last name is, but all right. One, how did you get DFM Toolworks? And two, as someone that spent, I imagine, doing all sorts of manufacturing from metals to plastics to robotics to, you know, you did wood last year and now you're back into metals. How did you focus on just purely a metals manufacturing sort of, you know, sort of uh, area? Uh, So one of the things... Uh, on a personal level, I like that metal in general is very homogenous, meaning when I buy aluminum, it's the same every time, like within a few percentage points of all the different alloys that are in it. Whereas, you know, when I make those cedar grill scrapers, my scrap rate is about 25% because of all the knots and all the other stuff. But sadly, it's cheaper to scrap 25% of that wood than it is to buy the uh, premium no-knot wood, if that makes any sense. Yes. So like my price per board foot is still cheaper if I throw away a quarter of it than if I buy the pristine. And so anyway, back to metal versus wood, you know, wood just kind of drives me crazy sometimes. And... Uh, I like the precision that metal affords me. It's very consistent. Um, and I think, again, it's just a personal preference. It's not that I hate wood. I just like metal more. And I also like that there's a lot more automation around metalworking because it is so consistent. Meaning at some point I could have a robot feeding my CNC mill. Yeah. You could also do that with a Shapoko too. But the wood is such a squirrely little thing that I, I wouldn't want to do it as much. There's there's no consistency in wood. No, board it's a natural board product. Board. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and that, which is which is interesting because I came from someone who spent a lot of their time focusing on metal. I mean, I wanted to go, I wanted, once I graduated high school, one of my potential career goals was to be a welder and a manufacturer with metal. My mother nixed that idea quite quickly. Um, But I had spent a lot of time working with metal and loved metal. But whenever I started moving towards wood and realized how unique and complex it is and realized that there's some more fine tuning in wood as opposed to metal you have to deal with, 
piece by piece by piece, I started liking wood more. So I can I can understand both sides of the spectrum. I mean, I've never worked in super high-end alloys, but I've worked with enough metal to know that generally piece piece by piece, it's gonna it's pretty much gonna react almost the exact same, you know. One every you know nine hundred ninety nine out of out of a thousand times it'll do the exact same thing you want it to do. Yeah, that's fairly true. Um, yeah. And if it's not right, then you probably got a bad batch. And yeah, it's either a bad batch or you really screwed up on your end. One of the two. Yeah, I've definitely screwed up a lot of tools. So <laughs> don't don't think that it's like this easy formula where I just throw metal into a machine and out comes my parts no well, i no, see stories where it's like oh broke a 200 hundred dollar bit today <laughs> yeah and um that one that you're referring to i actually destroyed the holder as well i, I can't even get Ooh, the tool God. out of it mm. so well the bigger scare was uh if i had ruined my spindle that would have been like four thousand dollars so Ouch. i'm just glad i didn't ruin the spindle at least i don't think so i'm like um I'm like an ostrich in the sand right now. I don't want to measure the run out on my spindle. Because if if I were to measure it, I might feel guilty and, and have to go buy a new spindle. Only because I share that machine with a business partner. So, <laughs> um, But he, his stuff is not that precise either. Um, when I say not precise, like for anyone listening... I'm still within less than a thousandth, I'm sure, on everything that I'm doing. But in machining terms, um, a tenth of a thousandth is where you're really trying to aim for a lot of these machines. And maybe I'm at two tenths now or three tenths instead of one tenth, Yeah, if that makes any sense. So yep. it's all relative. Um and really where that would make a big deal is if I start making more knives in the CNC mill. Um, the harder the material, the less forgiving it is for inaccuracy. So uh, one of my goals eventually is to be making knives on the CNC. And I don't want to do a bunch of hand finishing, which is how most makers make their knives. I want to be able to put metal into a machine and out comes my knife. Well, and so, I think a lot of people feel that's expensive. That's what machines do is you just put it on the machine and it's done. They don't see the mess ups or the failures or the breakages or any of that stuff. So it's good that you share when something breaks to show that it's, it's not all automated. No, no. And, um, because I follow other knife makers I can't really call myself a knife maker right now. Um, there are guys who have spent three years trying to perfect putting a piece of steel into a machine and out comes a pretty knife. Um, because it, there's no cookbook out there. Like nobody's posting, hey, here's the special formula to make knives because uh, it's so niche. And the people that have done it have spent tens of thousands of dollars to do it. And there's really no incentive to share it. Like, <laughs> um, however, I might share it only because I'm a big believer in like, so for example, with the grill scraper is I'm going to be posting my speeds and feeds on the Shapoko. And, and the reason for that is I'm not really worried about anyone taking my grill scraper. Like 
if they understood how many hundreds of hours it took me to get 34 positive reviews on Amazon, like, good luck. Like, you can make, you could copy my growth scraper and I would not care because you can't sell it like I can sell it. And if you can, that means I just don't care about it anymore. And this, and this, this little rant is really coming out of machining where people are very secretive a lot of times about how they're running their machines. And I think it's only because they've spent so much money to get there. Um, by sharing it, all you're doing is, is speeding up other people's attempts at doing the same thing. Um, but I'm not worried about it because I'm not in the business of, of machining stuff for other people. I'm machining my own stuff. So, yeah. meaning no, nobody's going to set up a shop called DFM Toolworks. That would just be well. silly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could, but everyone would know that they're not real. Um, if that makes any sense. So I think what's yeah. cool about social media is um, it's hard to replicate other people's stuff. Like if I became a blacksmith tomorrow, I'm not the same as the other top blacksmiths. You know, I'm going to be me, not them. Yeah. Um, and same thing with woodworking. Um, I'm not trying to threaten anyone that's making other wooden grill scrapers. I just want to make mine. So, uh, well, and a lot I, of people, I think, forget that it takes years to get to the level that people are posting on Instagram. Because most people are posting the good, not necessarily the bad. So it might have taken four years to figure out how to make the one thing they posted the beauty shot of on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. And certainly, um, you know, for woodworkers, I think everything is so unique that there's really not that same kind of competition. And that's my opinion. People could feel like they're competing directly with each other, but... I think makers in general have such a huge market right now that there really shouldn't be a whole lot of competition. Like I, I, I really want to see people try to help each other because the market's only getting bigger. Um, it's not this tiny pie that is the same size every year. It's, it's getting bigger. Brands, the big brands are less powerful because they used to have enough money to do TV, but you guys can all do your own ad spend. I'm sure Instagram has encouraged you to spend $20 with them. Yep. Um, I don't necessarily recommend that. (laughs) I don't recommend sponsored ads on Instagram, but that's only because I think there's more money better spent in collaborations, for example. So, you know, Martina might have an audience and Steven might have an audience. And when you guys combine your audiences, that's a much better spend of your time and effort than to, to work in your own individual silos and then try to spend a hundred dollars on Instagram ads. That's just my perception. Um, only because Instagram will serve up ads that I've already clicked on. And I'm like, that's kind of a waste of money. Yep. Like, like I've already commented on this post that you sponsored, so why show it to me again? Like, I think I've seen the same 
CNC router ad at least 10 times this week. Right. So, so, so like I said, I, I would encourage all the makers out there to try to work with other makers. Um, only because I think, you know, you guys have control over what you spend your time on and people are, are watching you because they enjoy watching you and, um, they may like what the other person's doing. And so that just expands your, your space. I don't think it, I don't think it's a competition at all. Not yet. So maybe in 10 years, it'll be a different story, but I think there'll be other platforms by then too. Most likely, but you're right. It's, I think with social media, the whole sharing knowledge thing has become more acceptable, I guess is the way to put it. Because even in 3D CAD design 10 years ago, people wouldn't be caught dead trying to help other people learn it because they struggled through it. And it was, you know, they struggled for so long, the next person should too. I was like, that's a terrible way to do it. But (laughs) that seems to be, especially with like Fusion 360, it's become less uh, proprietary. More people are willing to share it, do tutorials and teach other people, which is kind of nice. Yeah, there's three or four big YouTube channels. Well, not big, but big big enough, uh, centered around Fusion 360, for example. And that's how I learned it. I didn't go to some training class on it. You know, I just watched YouTube videos and struggled for a couple weeks. Now, it only took me a couple weeks because I've used much more powerful programs and I think in some ways that was to my disadvantage because I had all these expectations uh, of Fusion 360. And so I got frustrated when I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So you're kind of in but, the boat I am. But it was when I did it, it was trying to go from the higher end ones to SketchUp, which is even worse. Oh, my oh, goodness. I, I hate I hate using SketchUp so bad. It's, well, so Fusion 360 was oh like a, a gift. It was like Santa Claus gave me a better CAD system for a maker because it could finally do like half of what I was used to. And SketchUp couldn't do even like a tenth of what I was used to. So it's, I would agree, it's kind of to your disadvantage if you had the knowledge from other stuff. If you don't know any CAD, I think Fusion 360 can do almost anything you need to. Yeah, I, I think people unfortunately can feel a little intimidated by it. A lot of makers are using Vetric or what's the other 2D thing? Aspire. I don't know. Anyway, there's different stuff for running a CNC router. And in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, why don't you guys just learn Fusion? (laughs) Because now you can make practically anything with a three-axis machine. Now I pay for Fusion 360 because I eventually want to have a fourth and fifth axis. And in order to unlock those features, I'm lucky enough to want to have those features. But but anyway, I don't, I, I don't want to make this about CAD and CAM, but, but what I do want people to understand is if you put in the time and effort, you can learn this too. Meaning I didn't grow up wanting to be a machinist, but I am a machinist right now because that's how I'm going to start my company. 
I won't always be a machinist. <laughs> like, I think I'll always enjoy making stuff on the mill. Maybe I won't always be doing the cam anymore, if that makes any sense. Because there's people who are better than I am at this. So my business partner, he can draw stuff 10 times faster than I can. He doesn't do any work for me. But I'm just pointing out that I know I'm not the best at this. But I'm doing the best that I can because it, it's necessary to run my business. I think being a small business owner, now that I'm actually trying to make my side thing a business, is you quickly learn all the things you don't know and all the things you have to learn out of necessity, even things you don't want to learn, like like taxes. But you have to learn it and you have to wrap your head around it. And actually, I found that learning stuff for my business here at home has actually given me insight to my job 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 because there will be things like i'll see po's and it'll say subject to use tax or not subject to use tax and i didn't figure out why they would be or wouldn't be until like last week because of my side business having to go through the same thing but it kind of it's I found that running your own thing is a trial by fire MBA, <laughs> kind of, because you're kind of learning all that stuff that other people went to school for, and you're just like, well, today I'm going to learn taxes, tomorrow I'm going to learn, you know, building an e-commerce store, <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot of different things you have to learn out of necessity and I think that's really what makes or breaks people's willingness to do a business. Like whether they get past and push that mindset away that's like, oh, I can't do this. And you instead put your head down and work at it and work through the frustration. And that's where I've been lately is just getting frustrated at all the admin side but I don't have anybody else that can help me with it so I didn't have like a somebody to go to and be like oh just you know I have a tax department like you do at your normal like company yeah I've um, filed I've never filed tax extensions until the last two years so so Same. so I buy time <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah it literally a guy, a guy I work with, he files tax extensions every single year. My CPA was but, pissed. Yeah. You know, I part of the reason I did it, though, is actually some CPAs are much easier to work with after tax season. That's, yeah. So, so like, I'm going to get their full attention in June versus if I was trying to sneak in with them in April or February or March, I guess. But, yeah, that's a whole... Like I said, it. I, I despise doing the admin, but it kind of is what it is. Um, yeah. But it is probably the first thing on my list for 2020 is when I have enough money, I'm totally going to pay a bookkeeper and have somebody figure out my taxes every month. Like, get, get you this sweet old lady named Ethel. She comes in, she opens up her big, you know, portfolio book and... She's handwriting everything in. 
Nice. Yeah, there's still people that are like that. Um, there are. The, I, the lady that used to do my taxes, she, I mean, she would literally do them on paper. She would file them on a computer, but she wrote them on paper to make sure that everything lined up. Yeah, I, um, I use spreadsheets. Right now I use QuickBooks, hoping that it'll work out. Next year will be my first, like, year officially filing taxes for a business where it has all the tracking for sales tax and all that other stuff. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I think if you were on sales, or not Salesforce, um, Shopify, that should integrate with QuickBooks, right? I think it's supposed to. I, I'm only now looking into Shopify. Well, like you said before, it's not, it's not cheap per month. I think the cheapest plans like $29 a month or something plus credit card fees. But the thing that I found trying to do it on my own through like WooCommerce is you're still paying for your domain and your hosting, which is some amount of money per month. And then you still have to pay like processing fees if you integrate like Stripe or PayPal. So that's kind of a wash. But the other thing is WooCommerce has things that it can't do for free and you have to pay for that add-on or whatever it might be. So at the end of doing all this and the headache of trying to figure it out, you're not, I don't think you're saving that much more versus the $29 a month plan. You might be, I mean, versus like the 75 or whatever the next tier is, you probably are, but I think if it's, I'm actually looking at the 300. <laughs> mm. See, I'm, I'm debating the $29 one and you're all like going for the high one. <laughs> well, only because, uh, again, I don't want to get, stuck in the weeds, but let's just say that the PayPal transaction fees um, are much higher at the $29 and $79 versus when you just pay them $300 a month, then it's practically nothing. Makes sense. So again, it the only I'm not doing the $300 to get started, to be clear. I, I'm not making that much money. But if I do the math on how much money I give to Amazon every month for free, that's where the ROI comes. Meaning if I start selling more on my own website and stop pushing people to Amazon, that's the way to get my money back. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Because right now I pay Amazon 15% for every sale that I make in my category. Now that includes the 3% transaction fee or 2% or whatever. That's still still pretty steep. Right, but that's, I'm happy to give that for the traffic that they generate. Yeah, it's kind of pain for convenience. But I generate myself about 20% of my own sales right now on Amazon. So I, yeah. I've been able to figure out how much my Instagram does, and I should be recapturing that. Um, that makes sense. And I'll let you guys know in my stories if I get rejected from the influencer program, but I applied. <laughs> Because I could potentially get 7% back just by using an affiliate link. Wow. Well, now that you hit 10K, doesn't that unlock like a whole new world? It doesn't <laughs> do anything. Well, you have swipe up, so it makes it easier for people to use you your affiliate. You do have swipe up. I do, but Amazon 
doesn't have strict rules on who gets in and who doesn't. So I know okay. some YouTubers that have over 100,000 subscribers who have gotten rejected from the Amazon affiliate program. Oh, wow. So for what it's worth, 10K may not mean anything to them. True. Um, well, I wonder if part of that's because when you sign up, I think you have to have an Amazon account. And if you use yours, I wonder if being like an Amazon seller in your case or an Amazon Prime member gives you a leg up mm-hmm. in their category. I would think it'd be a reason to not let me in because now I'm double Maybe. dipping. But true. But what's interesting is there's not a whole lot of forums about that. So I've tried to search like who uses the affiliate program and is a seller at the same time. And there's not a whole lot of content around that. I'm not really sure how this all works. Meaning if they reject me, I don't know why they rejected me. (laughs) It could be because I don't have 50,000 followers or it could be because I'm a seller. Well, Um, even if you get approved, if you don't get a certain amount, of re- sales through your referrals, they'll also get yep. you back out, yep. even if they approved you to begin with. Yeah, that's why. Um, yeah, I would encourage everyone to apply because you can apply every six months. So, if you get rejected, it's not the end of the world. You just have to wait another six months to reapply. And we could have an entire episode on selling on Amazon. Um, I certainly enjoy talking about it. I think so. that, that'd be good, like selling on to. Amazon and then selling on Etsy. E-commerce um, in general. Yeah, because yeah. Trevor has the Etsy experience. I just go to people's houses, so I don't have to worry about half this stuff. <laughs> Etsy is... I have a feeling Etsy's a lot like Amazon in the fact that you're one in a million. So getting people to find you as a product person is difficult well that's why you have to you end up paying more to put yourself in people's faces which i haven't i haven't done the ads or anything like that yeah i think you know for your sign business it would still be interesting to actually uh post more on linkedin only because i feel like that's the real business to business platform i haven't Uh, even thought about that yeah the only reason i say that is is uh, through LinkedIn ad, you can target specific areas and specific titles. So you could talk to the owners of pizza shops or the owners of uh, dry cleaning businesses or whatever, you know, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how active small businesses are on LinkedIn. Um, That's a good question. But it's something to think about only because... For example, if I wanted to, say, start selling in Ace Hardware stores, which actually is a bad example because those are franchises, actually, it'd be a good example. So say I want to meet the franchise owners of all the Ace Hardwares in the United States. The easiest way to do that would be to just go to LinkedIn and type in Ace Hardware franchise owner. Yeah. Right. And then I have, even if only 10% of them are on LinkedIn, I now have a very short list of people that I can send a contact request and just say, Hey, I want to connect because I'm looking to sell my tools in your store. Like be very direct and just say, Hey, here's what I'm looking to do. Um, 
Now, for you in a sign making business, what Gary Vee would t- tell you to do is to do a bunch of content that's valuable to those people, but not ask them for the business directly. But I don't have that kind of time. So I'm just going to go <laughs> straight to them. And, and even if one out of 10 say yes, that's faster than me trying to do some sort of ad campaign on the other cl- platforms to try to get them to click through. So again, for B2B, um, I would highly recommend looking at LinkedIn. I'll have to check that out. I have one. I I just always thought of it more as a I know. It's a resume, resume type of thing. thing. Yeah. Um, but I think it's becoming less and less like that because you can now post video to LinkedIn and that has changed the game a lot for other manufacturers. So for example, you know, I got hooked up with a laser cutting company just because they were running ads on Instagram. And I told them that, right? I'm like, hey, by the way, your ad actually worked. It started on Facebook, you know, so I saw it on Facebook. And then I saw it on Instagram. And the second time I was like, you know, I should probably just click through and see what happens. Um, nice. So all those laser videos... Maybe you throw a couple up on LinkedIn, but I would, I would show the finished product for LinkedIn. I think unless the process. Yeah, I need to get better with my finished product photography. Well, and then you could ask if your client owns a business and is on LinkedIn. Ideally, they would show it off, and you could yeah. ask them to reshare your post. Yeah, I'm trying to be more proactive about that side yeah anyway like i said it's like um i think linkedin is probably a 2020 thing for me in terms of being more active on there and that's because i'll be wanting to recruit say an engineer to come work with me or i want an accountant to come work with me um so linkedin for most companies has become a recruiting tool and that's how i would be treating it makes sense um, but you basically like some of the stories, like it'd be just a different story. It would be, Hey, here at DFM Toolworks, we value our employees and here's one of my employees and, and he can tell you about what he likes about this place. Right. It's kind of like yeah. a soft ad for, you know, I'm not saying yeah, come yeah. work with me. I'm just saying this is a good place so that when people look me up, there's all this content that says that it's a good place to work. Like I'm not selling them on it's a good place to work. They're, they're deciding, do they want to work with me or not? I think we've come up with maybe two or three more topics now that we, that we need to have podcasts for a podcast all about LinkedIn and e-commerce for that matter. (laughs) E-commerce I think would be a big one. I would agree. E-commerce would probably be more useful for the makers out there. Um, oh, yeah. I don't think LinkedIn is... Uh, it's really a maker thing. It it's could be, though. I mean, I think... business type of thing. A brief example would be uh, made-for-profit guys, the guys that are trying to talk about the business of being a maker in detail. They should be on LinkedIn like crazy. Only because it could lead to more... Um, traditional media interviewing them for example 
So like if they want to get on CNN, their best thing to do would be to be posting a bunch of stuff to LinkedIn. Yeah, they're so social media heavy. So it just, I guess it just depends where you want to take your business. So like, I don't think, so like the part-timers want to benefit from like a LinkedIn type thing, but the people like DFM to works and Trevor, who's trying to go full-time, my business that's trying to grow within my community, like we would all benefit from a LinkedIn to grow our network and our advertisements and everything. So just what your long-term plan of your business. So it could benefit some, but not, it wouldn't apply to everyone. But I think that's with every episode and every topic we have, like you, it's to a select market for that episode, but that's why we have one week after week to try to appeal to everybody. We want to thank you for coming on and taking time out of your Saturday morning. Absolutely. We yeah, know we no, don't record don't at the best time, but <laughs> don't cut out just yet. You still need yeah, to answer. Yeah, it's when everyone should be uh, busy in the shop, right? Yeah, that Especially or that or eating so. brunch or something. I mean, what are what are Saturday mornings for? I really don't know. Well, within the next, well, it's already eighty three degrees here. So in the next hour or two, it's going to be ninety five. So it's already getting too hot to be in the garage. JT won't JT won't have that problem for like three months. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, even when it's 90 degrees in my shop, it's not going to matter. Cause... Well, I plan to do the AC <laughs> upgrade at some point in the next year or so. You just need the little clip-on fan that you just clip on stuff. You know, wherever you are, it's, it's Yeah, flowing. it just moves the hot air. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. So I think it needs to get the, the little tiny. It look, it's like the size of a dehumidifier, but it's just got like those two flexible arms that just shoots out cold air. I think I think that's what he needs. I just need to make like a vest with ice packs integrated into it and just wear they it already, constantly. They already make those. That they, sounds yeah, amazing. They, they've had those for decades. Okay, then I need to get one because working they're, in the garage they're not cheap. in the summer they're not is cheap. awful. They're Which heavy too. I think Martina can attest to being in a garage. Yeah, I also like think you don't weather. handle the heat well because you tried to give yourself heat stroke a couple weeks ago and it wasn't even bad yet it was already like 90 degrees yeah i don't i just think i think you're a little bit more sensitive i don't handle heat yeah i i really don't (laughs) i know this though so i also burn really fast so being outside in the sun is i've basically worked outside my whole adult life so this garage working with no air conditioner is what it is yeah you learn to live with it you just sweat a lot Mm mm-hmm Real quick, JT, you didn't answer how you came up with your business name. Yeah, I need oh, to know that. I need sure. to know where DFM came from. So that is a combination of what is available and what is, uh, you know, kind of at the core of what this business is about. So it's it just stands for D, uh, Design for Manufacturing. So that's a very common acronym in the engineering that makes world. So much more sense now. Yeah. That makes that makes total sense. That makes total uh, sense because I was like, none of those letters are part of his name. <laughs> no, and and the business started out as uh, FBA manufacturing, which is fulfilled by Amazon manufacturing. So, <laughs> but but when I realized that FBA is actually trademarked by Amazon, um, you don't want to infringe on your your biggest business partner's trademark. So. Um, you know, they didn't reject me. Um, oh, and the other thing that's interesting though, about Facebook is you cannot have a Facebook page name with FB in it at all. 
Oh. So they have this script that just runs, and if there's the letters F and B right next to each other like that, they think that you're trying to pretend to be Facebook. Interesting. And so another great reason to not be FBA manufacturing anymore. So if you go way back in my posts, you will see laser etched logos of FBA, MFG or something. So you'd have to go back to the very beginning of my feed, but it's somewhere in there. And uh, so, yeah, DFM was not taken by anyone else. And so I took it. Um, I probably spent several. Sorry, sorry, I was just going to say I spent several days on this. Um, I would encourage people not to overthink their name. Like, I can rebrand three years from now if I really need to, but I don't think I will because that would be a waste of time. But um, I think just using your name is fine for most people. Um, yeah, I'd agree. So so that's the DFM uh, origin story. <laughs> it's, it's not that special. Uh, it like means it more to me probably than it does to most other people. Uh, been toying around with playing with it a little bit where it'd be designed for makers, but I, I, I kind of want to stay true to what I'm trying to do, which I think, is I, I want think you gotta get manufacturing jobs here in the United States. You know. So um, it'll probably just stay that way. What's but I am designing more stuff for makers. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. I think it'd be a better story once I have more people working with me and I don't say for me, they're working with me. Um, it's a free country, free will. Anyone can leave me at any time that they want. So, um, uh, like I said, I think Mike Rowe would be several years from now. It'd be great to bring him in and, uh, show him my tiny little factory, but <laughs> one day you'll get there. Hopefully. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned in my, I don't know if you guys read the little email that I send out every yep. month, but it's pretty long and, I just and boring. But, but in there, you will see that I mentioned the fact that um, I will be doing some more kitchenware. You know, you've seen mm-hmm. maybe the little flipper and stuff. And the reason for that is uh, as I grow, I'll have more money to kind of tackle the kitchenware market. And the reason I want to do that is... I want to have more diversity in my business and also potentially hire more people because I now have a bigger market to tackle. Um, Woodworking's great. Uh, I think I'll always be in woodworking, but um, for my own business goals, it's going to require to to diversify. Um, So when people try to compare me to other tool companies in the woodworking space, I always you know, appreciate their um, uh, flattery almost that they think I'm going to be them. But I'm not trying to be one of those tool companies. Um, I want to be a manufacturing company that hires people and makes really good products. Um, I just so happen to do woodworking. Awesome. Yeah, and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm making a commitment to keep making those tools. So it's not like... 10 years from now, I won't be making small squares. It just means that, you know, you might find other DFM products in your house um, 
that aren't woodworking tools. So cool. Um, we'll see. We'll see where the market allows me to go. Well, thank you for coming on. We wish you the best of luck with growing. It'll be fun watching. For sure. It's it's more fun to watch than to do it. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, you know, I um, I'm really excited um, about the next couple months. Um, in that, hopefully, I'll be in a better place than I am now financially. So, um, I can't imagine why not. So, uh, hopefully, nothing breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, offline, I'll have to talk with you about e-commerce. Well, yeah, for sure. That. Um, and I'll, I'll see if I can hook you up with a uh, an automotive engineer that used to work for the largest kitchenware company in the country. That'd be interesting. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate any kind of connections that people want to uh, make. Um, I don't think I'm ready for kitchenware in all sincerity and that. You know, I'm not going to be, you won't see me selling all kinds of kitchen knives just yet, but that is on the agenda. Spatula. Start with a spatula. Everyone needs one. Yep, the spatulas. (laughs) I've got six of them upstairs, and um, I need to build a little die to bend them correctly um, so they look nice. And um, yeah, it'll be fun, uh, even if. It is, it'll be a good experiment because if I don't sell, say, more than 25 of them, I'll just give up on it for now and come back to it when I hopefully have more people interested in grilling. Nice. Um, but you can't divide people's attention. So, very true. Um, I've already learned that I can't post uh, grill scraper posts to woodworkers, like, it's just not that interesting to them. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we are getting so, into grilling season, though. So you never know. We are now's the time. We I'm, are so every season is grilling well, for me. Season, so I, don't, but. You'll see them in my stories for sure, right? So I mean, I'm grilling almost every evening. So once I have that spatula put together, you need to send one out to Todd at Rustic Inspired Designs because his page is split between using his smoker and making, and Todd. So, at rustic inspired rustic. designs uh because he okay. gets his stuff shared a lot by smokewares and big green egg and so he can mark like he has a, i think he's over 10k on his instagram but literally it's 50 50 13.5 yeah so he's 50 <laughs> 50 if he watches stories he goes from making in his shed to using the big green egg to go cook and watch nice. gator football should i tell him martina sent me yeah he'll know there you go. All right, we'll, we'll do that then. We'll have to talk about some of this offline before we get too far. I know. I think we're going to literally get of an episode. Yeah. yeah. So thanks so for joining us. Wanna, thanks for taking the right. time. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All right, JG. thanks a lot, guys. We'll have a good weekend. You too. You Bye. too. Thank you for listening to today's show. As a continued listener, we greatly appreciate your feedback, your input, and just downloading the episode every week. If you're a new listener. Thank you for hopping on, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And we also hope that you continue to join along with us every week as we'll put out new podcasts covering all sorts of maker topics. Also, be sure to check out makervisionpodcast.com 
where we'll post valuable resources, tips, tricks, and maker swag, including stickers, because, you know, makers love stickers. And we'll do this to help your maker vision become a maker reality. If you have any questions, suggestions, or any general input about this particular episode or previous episodes, you can reach out to our podcast email at makervisionpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on our Instagram, and that's makervisionpodcast. Even better, you can reach out to us directly through my personal Instagram, that is Old South Woodcraft, Trevor's personal Instagram, Maker Experiment, and the personal Instagram of our newest co-host, Martina, at Naughty by Nature Designs. She also runs the Maker Vision Podcast Instagram account, so if you have questions, you can reach out to her either way, and she'll be happy to help. Also, if you really enjoyed today's episode, or even if you didn't enjoy, enjoy today's episode, let us know. Give us a review. Hopefully it's a five-star review to show us that, hey, we've been doing good, but if you didn't, tell us what you didn't like about it, because we're happy to hear from you either way. And once again, thank you for being a listener, and we hope to see you next week. 